up, um, I used to spend a lot of time with my cousins, um, and we would often go during Christmas holidays, we'd go to different parts um, of, of the country. Um, they lived in Adelaide, and so often we would travel from Sydney all the way to Adelaide and do some fun things. Uh, one year during Christmas, uh, we went, I went fishing, um, but being Asian and wanting to get some outcomes, we didn't just go fishing anywhere, we went to a trout farm. So think a small pond filled with thousands and thousands of trout. You're definitely going to win or come away with a, a few fish, right? Well, you know, that's, that's a pretty good place to go. Anyway, so we, we were there fishing for trout. I, I, was, I think I was about six years old. Um, and as, as you do when you're six years old, you really have the attention span of, of a peanut. And, and so even though we were catching lots of fish, I, I got bored pretty quickly. And so I started looking around for other fun things to do as, as you are as a six-year-old. Um, so I looked around, and, and, and behind of us was this really nice little sort of grassy area. And, and I thought to myself, that looks like an awesome place to go run around and play in, right? Um, so I, started, I ran over to the, to the little grassy area kind of thing. Um, I, I was imagining, you know, those golf, golf, golf rings, like really manicured grass? Kind of like AstroTurf, but yeah. So I ran over to, to this place, and as I, as I ran onto the grass, um, I started having this, this sinking sensation. And it's not a sinking sensation, which is kind of like it's wobbly when you hit AstroTurf. They've got that spongy kind of stuff. Uh, no, this was a very quick sinking sensation. It turned out that the grass, or the grass that I was running onto, was not grass at all. Um, it was a pond with lots of water lilies on top that made it look like grass. And so, unbeknownst to me, not being able to swim, I had just basically committed suicide as I jumped into this pond. What I ran into this pond, really. Uh, and so I am there, drowning, uh, about to die, um, not being able to swim, wondering why there wasn't grass and there was a pond there. Um, and then my dad, hero of the day, fully clothed, jumps in. Maybe he pulled in la one last fish before he, uh, before he jumped in. But then he jumps in and, and saved me. Until uh, this day, I, I, I can't quite look at grass greens in the same way. They kind of make me feel a bit, a bit funny. Um, you might be sitting there wondering, well, why is this guy telling me about how he just tried to commit suicide. I mean, it definitely doesn't make me look very smart. I, I can't even tell the difference between firm ground and, and water, right? So I'm not really trying to convince you of my intellect. But the reason I tell you this story is I think sometimes in our lives, we need help from others because we can't help ourselves. I couldn't help myself as, as I was essentially drowning in this small pond, but it was, probably wasn't that big, but I wasn't that big either. As we read a story about a man that was trapped and enslaved by demons, he couldn't really help himself either, and he needed someone to, to intervene into his life to, to save him. And I wonder whether, in, even in our own lives, whether in some way we're, we're trapped as well, and we need someone to intervene and make a difference into our lives. And I hope that as we look at this story together, that you might see that Jesus is someone that could make a real big difference. That's my hope anyway. So why don't I pray for us real quickly that we would understand this story together uh, and then we'll have a look at the story. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, this amazing story of, of how you entered into a person's life and, and freed them from what enslaved them. Uh, would you help us also to see your, your power uh, and the amazing love that you've shown in this? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's look at the story together. Um, look there with me if you have your, your bulletins or, or your Bibles. Uh, keep them open. Um, what we see here, in, uh, right at the beginning in verse 1, the, the first sentence there, that, that Jesus, uh, probably along with um, those that he hung out, his disciples, his friends, they, they went across the lake, uh, likely the Lake of Galilee, uh, to a region called the, the Gerasenes. 
But what's kind of more striking right at the beginning part of this story is what happens when they get to this region, right? Jesus meets this man. It's not like any man, though. He's a man with an impure spirit. As we learn more about this man, we, we note two really important things, right? Uh, this man is, is really, really strong. No one can bind him down. He's so strong even that even though people have chained him to the ground, likely that he's been able to break free. Amazing strength. What's kind of interesting is, as you look at the original language, the Greek here, the word used for subdue is actually used to describe how people subdue wild animals. And it's likely what the author is trying to tell us is that this man is so crazed, so strong, so out of his mind, that he acts more like a wild animal than a human being. And this man really is crazed, isn't he? We read there, he, he roams the hills. He looks around in the tombs. He's so crazy, he cries out, then he ends up cutting himself with stones. I'm not sure if any of you have met someone like this. It's likely, if you had, well, it's unlikely that you would have, this man's experience as one who is crazed and supernaturally strong seems so disconnected from this world that we live in. I mean, this sounds more like a Hollywood horror movie than it does with someone that we would meet in our offices, as friends, at school, wherever we are. And we're starting to think that this story really has no relevance to our lives. We've got a crazed man and we don't know any crazy people. But I wonder if you, if you pause to think long enough whether there aren't parts of your own life that feel a little bit out of control. Maybe some habits that you have that you just can't quite break free from. I mean, think about our, our society. So often people are trapped. They are out of control. They're enslaved to certain substances. Things like, like drugs, they, they can't quite break free. Things like alcohol, they just need another sip. Addicts in our society are trapped and enslaved. They seem to share a very similar experience to this man. But sometimes addictions, well, they're not always obvious. There are those that do have a silent struggle. Those that struggle with body image and food. Many in our society wrestle with anorexia or bulimia. Unable to break free from this, this constant thing that, that tells them that they're not good enough. And so if you think about it hard enough, everywhere we go, there are modern equivalents of people who are trapped, enslaved, unable uh, to break free. And so this story actually becomes hugely relevant. How do we break out? How do we gain control of our lives? I think we find out in this story. But you may be sitting there and you're like, well, I don't wrestle with any of that stuff. Drugs, alcohol, not really. However, I wonder whether addictions are far more subtle than then we, we realize. How about a, a constant desire to seek the praise and approval of others? We're constantly entrapped and bound by, by expectations. Maybe our friends, what they think of us, our parents, what they tell us we should do. Maybe our bosses or co-workers at work, constantly desiring to please them, not able to break free from that. Maybe we're constantly bound to to struggling to be productive. We want to do work, but we're always procrastinating. We're unable to, to be disciplined in our lives. Or maybe we constantly struggle with the desire to have the latest and the greatest. Clothes, gadgets, whatever it is, you have to have it. I reckon if you dig deep enough, think long enough, there is something there 
that you say, yeah, I've got control of that. I could stop that at any moment. But our lives start to tell a different story. You know, we start to ignore what others say. I don't care what they say about me. I'm, I'm my own person. But then as we start to look at our own lives, we, we start to see that those moments when we've tried to break free, to, to claim control of our lives, are so often just a, a momentary lapse. So often we lapse back to really, really caring what someone says about us. We're trapped. And so if we actually recognize this, that there are many ways, some areas of our lives that we just can't break free from, this story starts to become so personally relevant. And I think Mark, the author that writes this story, that accounts for what Jesus did, is telling us that just as someone powerful broke into this man's life to transform his experience, so too, this person, Jesus, offers you the same experience, to be set free Well, let's see what Jesus does. If you have your Bibles, look there with me. Verse 6 and 7. When we saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? God's name, don't torture me. See, when you think about a fight, so often you think of two equal opponents. They're kind of wearing each one out, and, and finally one gets the upper hand and the other loses. That doesn't seem to be the case when when people meet Jesus. There's no contest, there's just instant surrender. And very quickly in this story, we realize that Jesus is no ordinary person. He seems to possess a a power and authority uh, that no one had before him. Remember, people tried to bind him down, this man, but but no one could. And so we recognize there are are two things about this man that, that really highlight the power of Jesus. Look at the man's response. What does he say? Uh, Jesus says, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So we see a bit of negotiation, a bit of back and forth. Let's talk about this, Jesus. Maybe you don't really want to do that. There's no negotiation. Instant submission. There's only pleading. And we note there in verses 10 and verses 12 that they essentially come to Jesus and beg him. They beg not to be sent out of the area. They beg once they realize that Jesus is going to expel them to be sent into the pigs. I'm not sure if you've ever begged someone for something. But to beg someone is, is to be in a position of, of shameful humility. No one wants to be in a position where they have to beg. You only beg if you're powerless, if you have no choice. See, friends, in, in this person's response, this man's response to Jesus we start to see that Jesus has a power and authority that no one else has. So much power and authority that even the demons submit to him. But we also recognize just how much power we see in this man's name. Jesus asks, what, what, what's your name? And how does he respond? Uh, my name is Legion, for we are many. English doesn't really make sense there, but what does make sense is it emphasizes just how many demons are in there. See, legion was a Roman term. It was actually an army term that that referred to the number of soldiers in a a group, in a battalion. People say that a legion represents five to six thousand soldiers. So what we're essentially hearing is there are five to six thousand demonic spirits possessing this man. That's where he got his strength from, but that's why he was in torment. That's why he was in pain. For Jesus to have power over so many spirits, starts to remind us that Jesus really does have some power. But we start to ask ourselves, well, 
Well, where does Jesus' authority come from? Well, let's note, how, do the man, how does this man speak to Jesus? He says, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? See, these demons inside the man recognize who Jesus really is. He's no ordinary man. They start to see that he's the Son of God. He has authority and power over all creation, over every living being, and even the demons that plague this man. And so the demons start to realize that, hey, this Jesus, he's on a mission. And this mission that he's come is to create this new kingdom that God is bringing into this world. A kingdom where there is no more suffering or pain, where there is no more evil or injustice, where there are no more demons that plague and entrap a man like this. Let me read to you the, the image that we get at the end of all time in a place of God's kingdom. And from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He shall wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. How will Jesus bring this new kingdom to bear? Or how will we create this new kingdom? Well, the evil spirits seem to know, right? They say, what do you want from me? In God's name, don't torture me. It's evident that the, these spirits know that, that Jesus is here to establish God's kingdom. And to bring about God's kingdom, he needs to destroy all that is evil. All that is wrong with this world all that would entrap men like the person that we meet. Jesus builds this kingdom by slaying death, by defeating sin and ultimately ridding this world of all that is wrong. And if we pay attention to this story, we really start to realize that Jesus is no ordinary man. Many have tried to subdue him and do stuff to him, but Jesus, in an instant, with few words, restores this man to life. It's not because he's like physically stronger than everyone that's gone before him. No, it's because he's the son of God. So Jesus shows us the purpose of his coming. See, friends, he, he comes not to flex his, his muscles, intimidate others. He comes to make the world right again. To create a kingdom of prosperity, of blessing, and ultimately of freedom. And as we pay attention to this story, we start to quickly realize that the story of freedom that we see in this man is the story of what Christianity is all about. It's the story of what Jesus is all about. See, at the beginning of the story, we meet a man, right? We meet a man who's trapped and out of control. A man who needs saving. And the Bible tells us that, that we're just like this man. We're all trapped. We're all in need of saving. We're not trapped by demons, though. We're enslaved to what the Bible calls sin. This is how one man tries to explain the experience of being trapped. His name was Paul. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing." See, this man's experience, Paul's experience, was being trapped and enslaved to sin. He really hoped to, go, to do good in this world. And yet, even though he tried, he ended up doing the things that he knew he didn't want to do, that which he hates. 
I think this is the experience of, of each and every one of us. We're made in God's image, and, and because of that, we have a desire to love others, to care for others, to, to be generous and, and to be forgiving. But not only just do good things, but to, to think well of others, to have a humility and a, and a graciousness towards others, to be charitable. Yet so often as we try to live like this, we realize that, that our ability to do this is so often momentary. We know the good we want to do, but yet we do the opposite. We quickly, instead of being loving, become bitter or resentful towards others. We let our minds quickly uh, slide into one of being proud and, and greedy. We seem to do the bad and evil that we do not want to do. The Bible tells us that the, at the basis of all of this, sin is ultimately this rejection of God. It's, 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 it's this desire and hope in our lives to live according to how we want to live in this world. And so just as, as this man, because he was trapped and enslaved, was, was exiled from, from people, that he was living alone, so too that becomes the destiny of all of us who are sinned, who are sinful, sorry, who don't want anything to do with God. We're, we're exiled, we're, we're isolated from God. There is this eternal destiny of death, of pain, of suffering because of our sin and our rejection of God. All of us, friends, you and and me, are just like this man, we need saving. We need to be freed from sin. We need to be freed and saved from this horrible destiny. Just as Jesus what was the answer to this man's predicament, so too Jesus becomes the answer to ours. Jesus, the Son of God, he, he enters this world and, and demonstrates a great love. Look back there at verse 1 with me. I think we skip across this. They went across... Uh, the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. As, as, a, as a 21st century reader that doesn't live in Israel, we, we kind of read this verse and we go, yeah, whatever. Uh, but the Gerasenes really was a place where not any Jewish people lived. Uh, really, it was a place that Jewish people avoided. And the reason was because non-Jewish people lived there. Why is that bad? Well, it meant that if you associated with, with Gentiles, non-Jewish people, uh, you became ritually unclean. If you came into, into animals that were part of this culture, like pigs, as a Jewish person, you became ritually unclean. As you entered an area filled with death, these tombs, you became ritually unclean. As a Jewish person, it really was important to be clean because it meant that you could have fellowship, you could enjoy the company of others. But what's more, you could have access and fellowship with God. If you became unclean, you were exiled from your friends and your community. No one wanted anything to do with you and especially God. You're far, far away. See, friends, there's no good reason for Jesus to be here. He's in an unclean area talking to an aunt man with an unclean spirit. Uh, this is a place, if you're Jewish, of death, really, uncleanness. No one wants to go here. But as Jesus enters this region, he shows that he's not bound by, by social or religious norms. He willingly crosses boundaries so that he may love and free others. And in a similar way, this is what Jesus does for those who are sinners. Jesus does what he doesn't have to do. He does what that no one else would do. That is, he crosses over to a place of death. He enters a place of death to free sinful people. But this place of death, though, is, is not a figurative place, a place of a, a tomb. You know, Jesus enters a place of real death as he dies 
an excruciatingly painful death on the cross. He experiences eternal punishment so that sinful people don't have to, in order so that the curse of sin and death could be broken. So just as Jesus dies, he rises again and offers that same hope to anyone that would trust and believe, that Jesus goes in their place, that he frees them from our, the sinful life that we live. Jesus invites you this morning, friends, to be part of his family, to enjoy all that he offers, freedom from sin, that the curse of death would no longer have its, its hold on you, that you could look to eternity with a sure confidence that you would be with God, that you would have life forevermore. This is amazing news. And so we have one or two choices this morning. And I think we see how those choices end up here. Well, let's look at the passage again. Verse 13, look what happens in the story. Jesus casts out the demons, and, and where do they go? Well, they head into these pigs. And so you have 2,000, over 2,000 of these squealy pigs heading down the hill into where? Well, the, the ocean or the lake, and they end up dying. I guess the people that were tending the pigs saw this. They were amazed, and they went to tell others about it in the surrounding towns. As all these people rush back to, to see what had happened, they, they meet Jesus, and they, they meet the man, Legion, who had been previously possessed, but they see something beautiful there. Long gone is the crazed and delirious super strong man, but before them what they see is someone there sitting calm, still, in his right mind, he's clothed, he's free. This is a beautiful image of what happens when people meet Jesus. But how do they respond? Well, probably there in verse 18, they basically tell Jesus to get lost. See, some people think that, you know, people were really upset with Jesus because he killed all their pigs and they wouldn't be able to have bacon for like a really long time. But I don't think that's quite true because, you know, it's not the, the pig herders or the people that are in charge of the pigs that essentially cast Jesus out, but it, it's the townspeople. And it's the townspeople when, not they heard about the pigs, but when they saw this man that they told Jesus to essentially get lost. See, when you talk to some people, they say, you know, I reckon if God turned up right here, right now, and, he, and did an amazing miracle, I don't believe in God, but if He did that, then I guess I would convert to Christianity. Then I'd believe. See, Jesus does exactly that. He releases a man from years of enslavement, expelling thousands of demons. His actions demonstrate that this man is the Son of God. And yet people respond, not in faith and belief, but in fear. They call Jesus to essentially nick off. That's one way you can respond to Jesus this morning. But my hope is that you will respond in another way. Not in fear, but in faith. Look at what that happens to this man. This man so transformed by what Jesus had done to him. He begs Jesus to allow him to go with him and travel with him through the region. Jesus tells him that he can't come with him, but go. Go out, tell others about the great news of what I have done. See, we realize that, that when you truly meet Jesus, you respond in joyful obedience as He calls you to live differently. And so this is Jesus' invitation to each of you this morning. He's gone where no one else wanted to go, endured what no one else could possibly endure. He sacrificed His own self so that you could be free from the curse and entrapment of sin, so that it would matter no more. He offers you to come into His kingdom, 
And it's easy to do this. You don't need to kind of get your life in order in order to come to Jesus. You don't need to be of a certain level in order before Jesus says, welcome, come on in. He just says that you would ask him and pray that you would help and say, I'm sorry. Sorry for the way I've lived my life without you. Wash me clean. Free me from all that burdens and entraps me. And he calls you this morning. Come. Come home. Come home. See, Christianity is, is often accused as, as kind of being like a, a good retirement plan. Pie in the sky when you die. It's only good until like you die, but before then it doesn't really matter at all. I don't actually think that's true. See, friends, because if you've ever met Jesus properly, He not only breaks you free from the sin that entraps your life, but it enables you to break free from all else that enslaves you. See, at the beginning I mentioned that so many of us, in many ways, we're enslaved to what people think of us. We can't help but try to, to live up to other people's expectations. We can't help but feel feel trapped or disappointed or, or, or really sad when, when people think bad of us. We're entrapped. Essentially, our whole identity is created around what people think of us. See, the good news of when you truly meet Jesus, when you have a relationship with Him, not only does He destroy the curse of sin and death and wipe your slate clean and make you right before God, He brings you not just into His kingdom, but He brings you into His family. I'm not sure what your family is like, but in God's family, you are unconditionally loved and accepted always. You're welcomed even though no one else might welcome you around here. You're accepted even though others may look down upon you. As you truly experience the fullness and, and love of God in all this, the grip of others' expectations upon your life starts to loosen. You realize that, that God, who, who knows everything, who can see every single flaw of yours, looks at you and still says, you're mine. Welcome home. Come on in. I dearly love you. Not only do I dearly love you, I rejoice over you. I delight over you because, because of what Jesus has done, you are special. When you meet Jesus, friends, you're not just free from sin, but anything else that would entrap you in this world. My hope is that you would love to experience this. I hope you do. I've been able to have that experience, and a lot of people here have that as well, and I hope you do as well. Um, we're going to do two things now. Um, the first is, um, I'm going to hope that, that you're, you're actually interested in what we're talking about today. Um, and a way in which you can kind of note down your interests is on the back of your bulletins, uh, there's a, a checkbox that, that says, I'd like to find out more about Jesus. If what we've talked about this morning has been interesting, as you've wanted, you're like, that's kind of helpful, I'd like to find out more, I'd like to live in, in the freedom that he's talking about, then, then tick that, write your name down, we'd love to get in touch and, and talk to you more. But for some of you here, you're like, oh, I don't think I need to find out more. I think I've heard enough. This is for me. I'm going to lead us in, in a short prayer. Um, and if you pray that, I'd like you to just say, I've, I've prayed the prayer. Come talk to me later. Um, and, and the church leaders will come and have a chat and explain more about Christianity and Jesus. Um, but as, as the band comes up now, I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer. And, and if you feel you're at a point where you want to respond to Jesus, can I encourage you to pray? Just note that down and we'll follow you up later. Okay, so if everyone could just bow their heads, we'll... Uh, We'll pray. And so if you feel that you'd like to respond, um, pray with me. You don't have to pray aloud, just in your head. Um, and then just let us know later so we can chat further. Pray with me. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you for the beautiful image of freedom that we see here today. I thank you for what you've done in dying for me on the cross. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn to you in hope that because Jesus died, I will live again. Help me to be someone who lives in your kingdom in joyful obedience to Jesus the King. Lord Jesus, come fill me now. Help me experience the freedom that I've just heard about. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.